Welcome to On the Ballot with Ballotpedia, where we take a closer look at the week's top political stories. Ballotpedia connects people to politics by providing neutral, nonpartisan, and reliable information on our government, how it works, and where it's headed. We're here to give you the facts so you can form your own opinion. I'm Victoria Rose, and thanks for being with us. It might be hard to believe, but we're around 16 months away from the 2024 presidential election. There have been plenty of developments in the race for the White House over the last several weeks, so I'm excited to bring you the latest today with staff writer Ellen Morrissey. Hey, Ellen. Hey, Victoria. But we get to see each other in a couple weeks in Chicago for our in-person editorial meeting, so that'll be exciting. Turning to the topic at hand, next year's presidential election will take place on November 5th. It'll be the 60th presidential election in U.S. history and the first since 2020's redistricting cycle and the reallocation of electoral college votes. We'll be covering the presidential election at length here on the show from the primaries to post-election analysis. But for this episode, Ellen, I want to give our listeners a lay of the land, an overview of where things stand in terms of who's running, some early fundraising and polling storylines, and important dates and deadlines to keep an eye out for. So first, Let's talk candidates. Is there a deadline for the latest a presidential hopeful can file to enter the race? So there's no formal unified national deadline to file to run for president. Instead, candidates are required to meet a variety of state-specific filing requirements and deadlines in order to appear on each state's ballot. These ballot access laws often include collecting signatures or paying a filing fee, So presidential candidate has to prepare to meet ballot access requirements well in advance of primaries, caucuses, and the general election um, if they want to make it to the election ballot. So we're still in the process of identifying filing deadlines and researching them, and state election authorities are also in the process of releasing them. But for example, the earliest one we have identified so far is for the um, Nevada Democratic primary. That filing deadline will be October 16th, 2023. So If a candidate fails to meet Nevada's filing requirements, they won't appear on the ballot in Nevada's primary. Missing out on an early state primary can hurt a candidate's campaign. Um, It can kind of, you know, damage their momentum kind of early on in the primary cycle. And it can also um, will ultimately mean that they miss out on those votes at the their party's national convention. Yeah, that makes sense. Are state filing deadlines uh, party specific then? Like you gave the example of Nevada's Democratic primary party deadline. Is that just for the Democratic Party in Nevada, not also for the Republicans? Yeah. So it depends state to state. Some states will have one filing deadline for all major party candidates, but other states, depending on who's in charge, there might be separate filing deadlines for Democrats and Republicans. So in Nevada specifically, there's still kind of uh, some uncertainty about whether the Republican Party is going to participate in the state-run primary that was um, recently established by legislation in the past couple of years, or if the Republican Party will instead opt to hold a party-sponsored caucus on a date of their own choosing. So those will, like when candidates are required to file, how they're required to file, things like that. So they're keeping us on our toes. Exactly. Candidates also file with the Federal Election Commission, which has its own reporting requirements regarding campaign finance statements. If you could navigate to the page on our site detailing presidential candidates, which is linked in our show notes, you'll find a list that's actually hundreds of names long of folks who have filed with the FEC to run for president. And I don't think I'm going to hurt anyone's feelings when I say that most of these candidates 
candidates are a long shot. That's why we here at Ballotpedia try to distinguish between anyone who files and noteworthy candidates, uh, which we identify based on previous or current officeholder status, previous presidential ballot access, media coverage, and primary debate polling and fundraising thresholds. As of the end of June, there are three noteworthy Democratic presidential candidates and 13 noteworthy Republican candidates. And it's it's typical for the incumbent president to face a little opposition when running for re-election, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But the last time the Republicans ran an open primary back in 2016, there were 17 noteworthy candidates. So Ellen, what's the primary field looking like for the Republican Party this time around? Of course, we've got the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump. He emerged from the crowded field back in 2016 and is hoping to do so again this time around. We've also got his former vice president, Mike Pence, also running for the nomination and making an argument that his executive experience as vice president prepared him to lead the country. They're joined by a slate of big names in Republican politics. We've got Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, former UN ambassador and South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. We've got Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, and former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. Pence and Christie both joined the race in June, along with current governor of North Dakota, Doug Burgum. Will Hurd, a former U.S. representative from Texas, also joined the race this month, along with City of Miami Mayor Francis Suarez. And we're not done yet. Rounding out the rest of the field as it currently stands is Vivek Ramaswamy, an entrepreneur and political commentator, Corey Stapleton, the former Montana Secretary of State, and Larry Elder, a talk radio host who ran unsuccessfully for the governor of California in the 2021 recall election. A pretty vast and diverse slate of candidates. There might be a handful of other candidates that enter the field between now and early primary filing deadlines, but what's early polling suggesting about who's leading the pack for the nomination? So I use real clear politics as a reference point when considering polls, since uh, their models use an average of major polling in circulation instead of just relying on one specific poll. There are other aggregators that do this too that I like as well, like 538. As of June 26th, former President Donald Trump maintains a wide lead, which he's held since announcing his candidacy. He stands with around 52% of respondents favoring him as their potential candidate. His closest competitor is DeSantis, who's just over 21%. No one else is really breaking double digits at this point in the race. We've got Pence, Haley, and Scott all kind of fluctuating between 6 and 3%. And you'll see other polls with other candidates kind of in that range. We're in pretty uncharted territory at the moment when it comes to Trump's candidacy and his upcoming legal cases. So we'll have to keep an eye on how that affects his popular support. But as of now, he's he's the pretty clear front runner. Yeah, it's definitely been a fascinating race to watch. Turning our attention to the other side of the aisle, Incumbent President Joe Biden announced he would seek re-election on April 25th. Incumbent presidents typically receive the majority support of their party. However, two Democrats have filed challenges to his re-election, as well as a third-party candidate. Who are they, Ellen? And are any of them gaining any traction? So we've got Democratic challengers include Marianne Williamson, the author who ran for president back in 2020 in what was uh, one of the most crowded primary fields the country has seen. She announced her candidacy for 24 back in February. And then more recently, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. entered the race back in April. Kennedy is an author and lawyer who's worked in environmental and healthcare related law. And of course, as you may be able to guess from his name, he is also the son of former U.S. Attorney General and Senator Robert F. Kennedy and the nephew of former President John F. Kennedy. 
although he's not running as a Democrat, we also have the academic public intellectual Cornell West running in not the Democratic primary. He's running a, as a third party candidate seeking the Green Party nomination. I think it's safe to say these are all long shot challengers to Biden's nomination. But as you mentioned, it's very possible that these challengers could make gains in the coming months. Biden's approval rating hasn't been stellar over these uh, last few months. 538 most recently had him at a 41.5% approval rating and a 53.3% disapproval rating. And is there anyone leading among those challengers? Generally speaking, I believe Kennedy is ahead, but not by very much. I think something that's also tough is that there just isn't as much polling of the Democratic primary as we're seeing on the Republican side. So we're working with kind of less data there. That makes sense. Even if we're not expecting a lot of action in the Democratic primary, there have been some noteworthy changes to the 2024 Democratic presidential primary calendar. What are they and why did the party move in that direction? Since 1972, Iowa had held the first nominating event of each presidential election cycle in the United States. In 2020, the results of the state's presidential caucuses were delayed by technological issues and some tabulation errors, which some believe was part of the reason this kind of debate around Iowa being the first state on on the presidential primary calendar, part of why that debate was revived. There are also questions about the state not being representative of the nation's demographic and geographic diversity. The electorate tends to be older and less urban than the nation, and nine out of 10 of the residents are white. So the Democratic National Committee's Rules Committee, it's committees all the way down. They voted in December of last year to approve a proposal that would reorder the early presidential primary calendar. South Carolina was selected as the first to hold their primary on February 3rd, 2024, followed by New Hampshire and Nevada on the same day, February 6th, then Georgia on February 13th, and Michigan on February 27th. The deadlines for states to submit kind of information to the rules committee about how they plan to adhere to this proposal have kept getting pushed back for some states. Like in New Hampshire, their deadline was recently extended to uh, September, and Iowa is also still trying to figure out their new plan. The committee rejected Iowa Democrats' mail-in caucus plan on, back on June 16th and gave the state party 30 days to change it. So we'll have to see what they come up with. It's all really interesting. I mean, I didn't realize all the mechanics of scheduling the primaries until this debate was going on. So it's been pretty interesting to watch. Speaking of debates, the Commission on Presidential Debates, which sponsors, organizes, and establishes guidelines for presidential and vice presidential debates in the general election, has not yet released the dates and sites for the 2024 presidential election. That information is all supposed to be ironed out by October or November of this year. But what about primary debates, Ellen? Before I get into primary debates, I'll I'll drop a quick note about the Commission on Presidential Debates. They traditionally have been the kind of main body in charge of scheduling general election debates. However, between the 2020 election cycle and now, the RNC has said they don't plan on participating in any debates hosted by the commission. So we'll see how that shakes out. Yet another uh, thing to put a pin into that we can come back to later. But primary debates are upcoming. As of today, the Democratic Party does not plan to hold any primary debates, which is pretty standard. If a serious challenger emerges in the Democratic primary or Biden is for some reason unable to run, they may revisit that plan. But as of now, it's looking like Biden has the support of the DNC behind his nomination. Republicans, on the other hand, will hold their first primary debate on 
August 23rd, 2023. That debate will be hosted by Fox News and take place in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. In early June, the Republican National Committee announced the uh, criteria that candidates needed to meet in order to make the debate stage, which are as follows. And the candidates need to meet all of these criteria. They need donations from at least 40,000 national contributors. They need to poll consistently above 1% in either three national polls or two national polls and a um, early primary state poll. Uh, then they also must sign off on several pledges. One, The pledge that's been getting the most headlines has been an agreement to support the eventual Republican nominee, although there are also kind of questions about how enforceable that really is. It'll be interesting. If the debate happened tomorrow, according to a report by Politico, we know that five candidates would qualify for the debate stage. Trump, DeSantis, Haley, Scott and Ramaswamy. And as more polls come out in the coming weeks and campaign finance numbers come out, we'll have a better idea of kind of what that stage is going to look like. Speaking of campaign finance, as we touched on earlier, every presidential candidate is required to register with the FEC and file regular financial reports detailing their fundraising and campaign spending. Again, it's very early, but before I let you go, Ellen, I'd love if we could touch on Republican primary candidates overall fundraising through April 2023 quarterly campaign finance reports, which is the most recent data we have available. It does exclude candidates that filed after March 31st. So what do those reports look like? Before we dig into it, there are probably a couple of terms we should unpack. You'll see these on our campaign finance page as well. The big three are receipts, contributions, and disbursements. So receipts is a broad term that refers to all money or like items of value that go into a presidential campaign, whereas contribution refers to individual donations to a campaign. So an example to kind of differentiate those two would be, you know, let's say Nikki Haley transfers a million dollars from one of her old political action committees into her current presidential committee. That transfer would be a receipt, but it wouldn't be a contribution. Whereas if I donated five bucks to Nikki Haley's campaign, that would be both a receipt and a contribution. And then our final term, disbursements. This one's pretty easy. It's just a term for the money a campaign spends. With that out of the way, we can get into some numbers here. Trump has, as of the April quarterly deadline, Trump has the most receipts in his campaign account thus far with nearly $14.5 million. Ramaswamy has just over $11 million, and Haley has just over $5 million. The amount of money spent by each of these campaigns ranks in the same order. Trump has spent Three and a half million. Ramaswamy had spent just over two million, and Haley had spent right around one million as of that April deadline. Something that's kind of interesting to look at here, or that you might notice on our chart on our campaign finance page, is the sizable lead Haley had in terms of contributions. She had received over $3.2 million in individual contributions, compared to just over a million for Ramaswamy and only $10,000 for Trump. Part of those numbers have to do with kind of at what point those candidates declared their campaigns or set up their principal campaign committees, the main like fundraising body for the campaign, at what point they set set those up in relation to the fundraising deadline. We'll definitely have a, I think, more kind of robust idea of the lay of the land there once we have the next set of quarterly reports, uh, which come out in July. 
Yeah, we'll have to see how DeSantis, Scott, and Pence stack up on campaign finance in relation to the others. Well, that's all the questions I have for you. I want to thank you for your time for coming on the show and unpacking the presidential race for us. Um, hope to have you on soon. Of course, anytime. And that's all for this week's episode of On the Ballot. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, if you have any questions, comments, or love for Ballotpedia, feel free to send it to us at ontheballot at ballotpedia.org or on Twitter at Ballotpedia. I'm Victoria Rose, and thanks for listening. 